I feel whole and really aligned with who I am and what I'm, you know, what my values are and feel so myself now and I feel really joyful, but that doesn't mean that that is constant throughout every single day. And, you know, I know particularly for me with my experience with mental illness, I need to be really proactive about taking care of my thoughts and my feelings and being really proactive about the things that make me the best version of myself. And I have to do that every day. And, you know, that includes taking medication for depression. It includes exercising every single day. You know, it includes making sure that I journal, seeing a psychologist. And like, they're all things that I proactively do to make sure that I'm in this space the majority of the time. Because I don't want people to think that when people are, you know, owning themselves and, you know, feel really in alignment that you're just constantly feeling happy all of the time. That's not the case. Um, And we need to make sure that we proactively take care of our mental health. um, And then more often we'll be able to feel real joy in this world. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Today I have such a special guest that I've wanted to interview for such a long time, former Olympian and swimmer Libby Trickett. I was lucky enough to meet Libby in 2016 when we were both ambassadors for the Women's Active Weekend on Hamilton Island and we had a really good connection where we hit it off and I got to meet not only Libby the swimmer, the famous swimmer, um, but Libby the person and I've kept in touch with her and followed her journey ever since. Libby is an amazing swimmer and was one of our best swimmers in Australia. Having culminated an amazing career in three Olympic Games where she's medaled, she's been a Commonwealth Games representative as well. She's now an author of her book, Beneath the Surface. She's been a media personality. She's now a student where she's studying counseling at university. And she's a podcast host of her new podcast, All That Glitters. On top of this, she's a mom of three girls, Poppy, Edwina and Bronte and If you didn't know, she's a runner. So she joins me on the RMA podcast today, not only because I really was interested in hearing about Libby's story and how she came to running, but not only that, we have so many things that we want to discuss today about Libby's journey and what you can learn from her story. The main themes around today's podcast are around mental health and the fear of failure, 
but having a go anyway. And I really wanted to talk to Libby about these topics because she is so open in sharing on her social media, particularly about her journey and her struggle with life after sport and putting herself out there, I guess, and in a vulnerable position a lot of the time where she tried new things, even amidst those feelings of failure. One of those things that she's so open in sharing, particularly in her book Beneath the Surface, is her journey to motherhood and her struggles with mental health and postnatal depression after her daughter Poppy was born. And so we dive into some of those issues and talk about her experiences with mental health and how she knew when she needed some help. Libby's story is like so many of ours, and we are both passionate about sharing these conversations to normalize the experiences that so many women go through. So I hope you love listening to Libby's story. This podcast is quite extensive. There is so much we wanted to cover in this episode, and it's a perfect podcast if you're heading out for a long run. For now, I'd like to introduce you to Libby Trickett. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Welcome to the podcast, Libby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited too that you've come on and, you know, it's been a journey and I've been following your story for quite a long time now. You know, we met a few years ago. I can't even, I was trying to think the other day. I think it was 2016. I feel like it was like May-ish. Yes, it was May. 2016. Yeah, it was Mother's Day thing at Hamilton Island. Yes. So we met there and... You know, you just had a daughter, Poppy, not long. Yep. I think she might have only been six six months old or something. Yeah, that? she was eight months. Yeah, eight months. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I've been following your journey ever since then, and you know, got to know you over that weekend, and and what what you were like as a person, just a beautiful person, and a little oh. bit about your story. And I wanted to have you on the podcast because for those of you that aren't aware, the listeners, um, who Libby is, you know, she's obviously one of Australia's best swimmers um, and among so many things. So, you know, you're an Olympian, medalist, Commonwealth Games medalist as well. You've held numerous records, world championships. You're an author. You're now a student. You're a podcast host. You've been a media personality. You've been so many things. You're a mum of three beautiful girls. But there's so much to your story. And the RMA podcast has been predominantly about running women mm-hmm. and that's part of the story that people might not know about you is that you do run you do dabble in running and yeah. uh, I was so excited when I I saw that as well um but we don't just touch on running here we touch on women's stories and mm. how they impact other women and help other women and yeah. most importantly um I've seen I guess your story unfold over the last few years um since retiring from sport trying to find your way um, and your purpose and your passions and following your heart and also bringing light to really important causes um, Mm. around issues like mental health, personal depression, all of those things, um, which you, you know, so openly shared in your book. Mm. Um, 
And I just think it's really important to be able to share those stories because the more we speak about them and make them normal, you know, normalize these stories. And especially for women that are, I guess, known and have the voice in the platform to be able to share those stories. I think it's really important um, that we collaborate together to be able to get those messages out. Totally. I 100% agree. It's amazing. And I think what's really you should be so proud of is the community that you've created. And I think that's something that resonated with me all those years ago when we first met is that uh, life is really about the communities that you can build. And I feel like that's even been a journey um, Mm -hmm. for me over the last five years and particularly since my little girl started school. Yeah. you start to understand the importance of those communities. And, you know, after the birth of of Poppy, I really needed to connect with those communities because I thought I had to do it all alone. And I think that's what's so beautiful about what you've done through, you know, the the lens of running and running mums, you know, is, is creating that community. And I think that's really, yeah, you should be really proud of that. It's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, that's what's so important about, I mean, motherhood and just as women is, I mean, we're kind of social beings, but I think having people to connect with that understand what women and mums go through, Mm -hmm. especially when you're a new mom and we'll discuss that and how that time was for you when you're a new mom and you have no idea and you're all of a sudden you're thrust into this unknown world um, that throws all sorts of spanners in the works and, and you feel like you're failing, you're failing, yeah. but you're not. I was the best in the world at the age of 23. <laughs> yeah. I was winning an Olympic gold and now this baby is screaming at me and I have no right. idea what she wants. I know. And you think, how could I be the best at that and then not the best at this? Mm. Like, you know, there's just, it's such a polarizing feeling. Yeah. Um, and so many mothers will be like nodding their head right now saying, uh-huh, I know exactly how that feels, whether they've come from a career or just something else into motherhood. Mm. I think motherhood has this way of really um, uh, putting us in our place, almost like leveling us, (laughs) (laughs) putting us in a really vulnerable position where we kind of have to question, okay, uh, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I don't really know what I'm doing, but other people do and I can learn from them and connect. But you can also not have it all together and that's okay. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's acknowledging that 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 is, like accepting that that is okay and it'll you'll get there yeah. <laughs> eventually. It takes time, but you'll get there. I think that's kind of why I like what I'm doing now because, you know, I, I do have, not that I have that many, but I have an Instagram following um, or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I, I'm creating a podcast where it's, I think it's a lot about those transitions in life. Like, yes, it's through that um facade of an athlete transitioning into life after sport but it's really about just life transition and we're constantly changing in our lives every single day Mm -hmm. and it's understanding how we evolve for the better (laughs) um and and accepting and acknowledging parts of ourselves that may not be the prettiest and i think we need to be able to share that there's so much that people are going through every single day. Mm. But that's why we need to be able to poke fun at ourselves because yeah. otherwise the burden becomes too heavy. 
Yeah. And we can't, we can't carry on with that. Like we have to be able to laugh when we can, because that is going to make that, that gives you those pockets of joy that yeah. you can experience every single day. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, don't you find, I find your, um, Instagram so great. Like I just love every day checking in on Libby. What she done today is they poo up to her arms. Or, yeah. you know, but that's what's so good about you, Libby, is that you're so real and we need more of that on mm. these social media platforms because life isn't an Instagram square. Yeah. And I think it's just so wholesome and nice to see um, posts like yours that just keep it real. You know, yeah, okay, you have the sprinkling in of amazing highlights, which everybody has in their life. Yeah. Feel raw stuff that, like, I just had a crap day today and I, I cried, like, the other day, you know, I cried in yeah. the bathroom because, yeah. you know, you got that feedback and you just felt vulnerable in that moment. Like, yeah. and it's good because it's just showing people that it's okay to feel like that. It's okay to share those experiences. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think it's really important to be able to normalize those conversations yeah. and because I don't want people to like look at, you know, what I've done in the past or what I do now or what I do in the future mm. as who I am. You know, that's part of who I am. Definitely. It's part of what makes me me and what fills me up and makes me excited. But also we need to be able to recognize that we're not perfect all of the time and again find the humor if we can find the humor and uh, like when I was crying in the bathroom and I took a photo because you know crying <laughs> bathroom selfies are should be a thing anyway <laughs> um, you know when I took that photo I, I had to laugh at myself because I remember crying in the toilet every day when I was working in a technology company in a marketing role because I just felt so lost and I felt so, pardon the pun, out of my depth and I felt so shit, like I felt so crappy at what I was doing and I didn't want that feeling anymore. Whereas the crying bathroom selfie the other day, it's like, you, yeah, you have that moment of vulnerability where you might get some feedback that you're like, oh, God, does that mean that I'm not good mm. at this? And I realised that I just want to be so good at, um, at counselling, which is what I'm studying at the moment, and I'm so excited at that potential that I could be good at it. Mm. And, yeah, it was like almost more happy tears, although, you know, you get feedback and I immediately go into like a shame spiral. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! I all my fears are confirmed. I'm shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you're picking out all the bits that you heard were the what you perceive as the negative feedback yeah. instead of all the positive stuff until you actually yeah. have time to think about what they actually said. Yeah, but it's interesting yeah. because I was, you know, when was that? Eight years ago, I was crying in the bathroom because I I was shit at what I was doing. <laughs> I wasn't good, um, and I didn't want to be good. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't find. I didn't buy into it, you know. It was a wonderful opportunity and I'm grateful for the experience, but it wasn't what I wanted. And so it was more kind of being that out of alignment, whereas, you know, the other day it's like, oh, I want this so much. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's like the outcome is the same. You're crying in the bathroom. <laughs> but, you know, there's a very different intention and feel behind it. Mm -hmm. 
And I just love that, that, you know, you're so open about sharing all of those experiences and, and I don't want to give too much of the book away because we'll be plugging this book. So we're not going to say too many of the stories in there. You just touched on one little one, but um, you know, working in the technology company, for example, mm-hmm. but, um, and I have read the book twice and I, I love it and I'm a big Thank fan you. of it. Um, but I guess, you know, life, brings you these experiences so we can learn from them and I guess find out what is it that we really want in our life and Mm. it has been a journey for you to find that but before we get into all of that stuff I just thought you might want to go back to your childhood I guess and tell people like how did you even get into swimming did you even dabble in running because I heard that you did go to high school with our uh, RMA ambassador Anna Croger she was the um, captain at your high school the year above you. So good. <laughs> and she said, I remember running cross country with Libby. Yeah, I did dabble. I dabbled a little bit in athletics. To be honest, I, so I grew up in Townsville. Um, I'm the youngest of four children. And so we just did everything, like every sport under the sun I, I basically tried. And being so hot up in North Queensland, I was always in the pool, in and around the pool. And being the youngest, I was always at the pool when my older siblings were doing swimming lessons. So I think I started learning to swim when I was one. I, was, I joined my first club when I was um, four yeah. and had my first club night race at that time. And I think for me... The moment that the it was a whistle, um, the moment that the whistle blew for my first race, I just, uh, this sounds really cliche, but I felt like I was home. Yeah. Like I felt like this was something that was in me, like it was connected. But I loved all sport, to be honest. Like I loved tennis and I did um, gymnastics and diving and touch footy and rowing. Um yeah, I feel like I, d- I dabbled in a lot. I was on my school uh, athletics team for a couple of years, but I think swimming was always the one that felt right. Mm. I, you know, I always laugh and joke that I'm a I'm not a land based mammal. <laughs> I was <laughs> made. Off it. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 that's exactly right. Like I just felt like I was. Yeah, I, I, every time, even now, um, you know, at 36 and eight years retired and post three babies, it still feels like going home for me. Yeah. I really loved competing. I didn't really love training. Training was not my jam for a really long time until I made the connection. And I think it was about probably about 15 mm-hmm. that I realized that if I trained hard, then I raced faster. And for me, funny that, who knew hard work pays off? Um, Yeah, I think once I made that connection, I had that light bulb moment that I was like, oh, wow, I could, you know, do something with this. And again, I didn't really know what that meant, but I just knew that I wanted to try and see where it took me. And yeah, it was a a slow process. It wasn't sort of overnight success, but you know, compared to a lot of other female athletes, I was a pretty late bloomer making my first team when I was 18. But yeah, it was definitely, yeah, slow and steady progress. But that for me, the the major turning point for my swimming was that light bulb of, oh, if I train hard in the training pool, yeah, then that will reflect in results in the racing pool. So when did you realize like that you were actually really 
good at swimming? Like, did, was there someone that sort of singled you out? Like, when did you actually realize that, hey, I actually could have a really good crack at this? It's a good question. Um, I kind of had a really quiet belief and I think my mum had some sort of quiet belief as well. I, I don't think either of us could have really named it at the time, probably around 16, 17. Yeah. And it was um, in 20, sorry, 2002 in my final year at school um, that I made my first Australian junior team. So my coach at the time was uh, a guy by the name of John Carew and Glenda Radley, and they were coaching Kieran Perkins and Hayley Lewis, so, you know, very well-established um, coaching careers. And up until that point, I had been, like, such a bludger. I'd slowly been, you know, adding more sessions and actually just completing the sessions that I was attending yeah. rather than having a 15-minute shower break in the middle <laughs> of, a, of a set. Um, and I started to see the results, which ended at, at my first Australian junior team. Mm. But in making that junior team, I had a few of my squad mates kind of come up to say to me, oh, Libby, I didn't even realise you were that good at swimming. I thought you were kind of just here to make up the numbers. And oh. I, I feel like that, um, I don't know, that comment kind of um, sparked a realization that I needed a different environment because I had created a reputation of being a bludger and that was going to be really hard to compete against <laughs> or try to change in any way. Um, so I uh, decided to change coaches to Stefan Widmer, who, who at the time I'd seen him coaching a few of my competitors out of my school pool. And yeah, he had seen me around the pool deck at different meets and thought I had good potential. There was a moment after six weeks of training with Stefan, um, I was at my first meet competing under him. And he said to me before the final, if you, you know, do what I say, if you do the work and commit to swimming, you won't recognise who you are as an athlete within 12 months. Mm. And it was that belief from someone outside of myself and outside of my mum that made me realise that I could have a really good crack at this. Yeah, again, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that that would mean, you know, potentially being a world record holder or an Olympic champion or anything like that. I just, yeah. it felt good and it felt right. And I, to have that belief from somebody external to me was really powerful. Yeah. And yeah, within twelve, uh, within six months, I'd made my first Australian team. Within twelve months, I'd broken my first world record and made the Olympic team. So, yeah, it's amazing what belief can instill yeah, in people. A hundred percent. And I mean, it's interesting you say that um, about that belief because I wonder if you know if you think back to that time when you had that coach say that to you and obviously you wanted it so you mm. put the hard work in and and you and you got what you wanted you know in terms of making those teams and being able to compete does that sort of transpire over to your life in the last few years like have you had people on your team around mm. you like people that surround you that you um, allow into your life that are, are like that that have actually being behind you, you know, when you think maybe I can't do this on my own, someone who's speaking into your life saying, you can do it, I'm here for you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support you in that. Do you think that's made a difference now in your life? 
You know, it, I mean, that's a brilliant question because I think everybody needs um, that <laughs> in their lives. I think they need, um, I had a conversation with Lane Beachley and she talked about her dream team. Um, I think we all need a dream team because I, it's, you can't do it on your own, no matter if you like swimming is seen as an individual sport, right? Like yeah. you are the only person standing behind the blocks and you are the one who has to execute on the race day. Mm. But in all of the lead up preparation to that, you are a team with your coach, with your psychologist, with your um, sports scientist, massage therapist, physiotherapist. There's so many people working together to get you in the best shape mm. mentally and physically to stand behind the blocks and execute that race process. And I had that definitely in spades when I was swimming. And I think that's probably something that I found really difficult in that transition into life after sport because you kind of thrust into never <laughs> no man's land and yeah. you don't have that team behind you and you have to find your new group of people, the people that you can talk to honestly and engage in their opinion who might challenge you on different things. Um, and I think that's really important to be able to have people who aren't just, oh, you're so great, because I know I'm not, like, I know I'm not great, but you also need people who are cheerleaders who can help pick you up off the ground when you're feeling down and feeling overwhelmed by life and all of the difficulties that we face every day. I wanted to touch on the fact that you did retire first from swimming mm. in 2009, but yes. then you went back. So yeah. do you want to just quickly give us a little insight into how did that actually happen? You know, what was the reasons for, for retiring the first time and then going back to the pool? And do you think it was the right decision to go back? Like what eventuated out mm. of you actually returning to the pool? Yeah, it's um, interesting to reflect on that time because in two th at the end of 2009, it was the um the super super suit world championships mm -hmm. where basically every single world record was broken except for two i think from memory um wow. and i don't know i was kind of i was spent like i was just done with the sport i was done with the pressure and the expectation i wanted to see who i was outside of the pool but mostly I was just, I think I was just mostly emotionally exhausted. Yeah. You know, so for me, I'm very much an all or nothing type of personality. And so instead of what I actually think would have been a better result was taking time out of the sport mm -hmm. and maybe taking 12 months to, I don't know, train lightly, just stay in touch with the water, but not compete. Yeah. Um, I decided to retire and I decided to move into life after sport and see what, what life had in store for me. And <clears throat> it was, you know, as much as I kind of prided myself on the idea that I wasn't just Libby Trickett, the swimmer, so much of my identity was just wrapped up in Libby Trickett, the swimmer. Yeah. And I had no idea who I was outside of the pool. I had no idea about what I was passionate about or what I wanted to be or you know, what aspirations I had outside of the pool. And, you know, it's been actually really interesting to reflect, um, particularly having watched Tokyo, because this is my second Olympics retired and watching it as a spectator. I, I mean, particularly for me, watching Emma Mickey and um, 
she achieved what everything that I dreamt of basically <laughs> as an athlete, like to do the 1500 freestyle double, that's what I wanted to do. And I realized that, you know, I think I made a few poor choices in terms of which coach I chose to move to after Stefan. Um, I don't think I should have retired. Um, I'm really glad that I went back to swimming because I think it taught me a lot of things about myself and my abilities to overcome obstacles that weren't present in my first iteration of, of my career. But, you know, by the same token, it was a bittersweet experience in London because I was selected as a relay swimmer and I executed my race plan to everything that I wanted to do in the heats. I, I definitely backed off and I think I had a lot in reserve for the final that night, but I wasn't selected because I, I backed off mm. and my time was slower. So um, then um, one of the, a couple of the other swimmers uh, and I wasn't, I kind of hoped that I would be selected on my experience and, you know, that didn't transpire and I had to sit in the stands while the girls got to win gold and, and you know, Oh, gosh, as a swimmer, as an athlete, that's everything that you dream of, right? To be able to put yourself in the positions to give those opportunities to represent your country and swim with the, you know, three incredible women. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, that was devastating. Mm. And I had every intention of going on to swim at a fourth Olympics and maybe a fifth Olympics, who knows? Um, but, you know, the universe works in weird ways. And I ended up having a catastrophic wrist injury. Who knew you could get that as a swimmer? <laughs> that's what I had. Catastrophic wrist injury. <laughs> yeah. What an idiot. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I ended up being kind of not forced into retirement, but I felt like it was the universe's way of telling me that it was time to, mm. to hang up the goggles because after the experience with my first retirement, I don't know if I would have come to that decision easily by myself. Yeah. I feel like it was the universe going, hey, it's time to move on. You're ready for this now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 I mean, it kind of sounds like I feel like I have regrets and I don't, I don't have regrets. I think it's good to reflect on decisions that you make. And as much as, you know, sometimes you wish you can make different decisions, it's given me so much perspective and I feel like the experience in London was a really important part of my ability to be really proud of what I achieved throughout my career because it wasn't exactly what I wanted. It wasn't perfect, but I worked my ass off <laughs> to get that heat gold medal and I did it. Like I, I was part of that team. I, you know, helped get those girls into the final and as much as it, the outcome wasn't exactly what I wanted, I can still be really, really proud of it. Yeah, I think so too. And I think too, like what you said, like it resonates a lot even with, with myself in terms of, um, you know, working towards stuff and then things not going the way, like, you know, high achiever, but mm -hmm. things not going the way that you would have liked it to go for, yeah. you know, maybe some decisions that, could have been different or whatever but when you've had time to reflect on it over the past you know 10 or so years like I guess you realize sometimes those roads are meant to be traveled to get totally. you where you are supposed to be 
Mm. Uh, the lessons you're supposed to learn out of those experiences. Um, and it's, you know, you said it's, um, it might sound like you have regrets. It's not regrets. It's just disappointment. And that's okay. Yeah. You're allowed yeah. to be disappointed and you're allowed to feel ripped off or you're allowed to feel sad that you didn't hit what you wanted to hit. You know, yeah. you're allowed to feel those things. Uh, watching Tokyo, I realized that I, in my mind, always wanted to win five gold medals in Beijing. And I hadn't really verbalized that. Yeah. And how disappointed I was with the outcome, <laughs> which yeah. is ridiculous because I won four Olympic medals that meet, uh, two of which were gold. And, you know, I can say now that I'm obviously super proud of that experience, especially yeah. with the roller coaster ride that I had there. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, you're allowed to be disappointed. Like you're allowed to be sad that it didn't happen exactly the way that you wanted. You know, I, I always make the joke that, you know, before I had kids, I imagined that I'd have two blonde haired boys and I ended up with three brunette girls. Like yes. <laughs> life just does not happen the way that we expect it sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, and there's reasons for that. And you can't always know the reasons in the moment and you oh. need to be able to reflect and understand and yeah, be proud of yourself. Yeah. And I think as much as there is those disappointments and you didn't, um, you know, achieve certain things in your career and your swimming career that you wanted, Libby, you have made such an impact. And mm. now I think your story is really only just beginning. Oh, thank you. You know, do you think that this time like that you're coming into now and, you know, even just, you know, you've created your podcast, which we'll talk about, like all that glitters, you know, has come to fruition you know you're mm -hmm. now finally found your passion which is the counseling and you're on that path do you think that the lessons that you've learned throughout those disappointments in your mm -hmm. career led you to being open to actually i guess embracing the fear that you might not um not that you won't do it but like you know there's always that fear that oh am i going to achieve it again because what if i fail um, yep. What if I find it hard? Like, what if I hit this roadblock? Like, do you think that those lessons you've learned so far have helped you to stay the path this time? Yeah, well, I think there's two two parts to, to my answer. I think all of those experiences combined from when I was swimming to, you know, going through postnatal depression after the birth of my first daughter to experience with mental illness with, with close family members um, and things like that and my personal experience with mental illness I think those experiences have led me to where I am today yeah and I don't know it's funny because I, I I've never felt more me mm. and that's so nice to be able to say that yeah. because you know when you're an elite athlete it's like it's just you're constantly pushing and you know life is constantly a grind like it's yeah. you're constantly trying to get kids to do what they don't want to do and I, I feel and my sister hates it when I say this but I feel like I really stepped into who I am now um it sounds really corny but I I really feel like I'm owning me yeah. and I'm I love that like i, I it just makes me feel so excited. I don't know, because you think about in your 20s and you just, and you know, late teens, early 20s, you just, you're so unsure of yourself. You know, I was so, yeah. gosh, so um, 
insecure in my relationships and just felt like I had to constantly prove myself, which comes to that second part of my answer, which I think the thing that drove me in my swimming was this feeling of never enough. Mm. I don't know how else to explain it, but like this never enoughness, like you're constantly trying to prove to somebody or yourself or um, past life traumas and yeah. things that you're experiencing, like you're constantly trying to push through that. And I don't know, I feel like now I, I, I still want to strive, you know, I still want to achieve wonderful things, but, you know, it's not coming from that place of low self-esteem, essentially. It's not coming from a place of trying to prove someone wrong. It's just I feel whole and really aligned with who I am and what I'm, you know, what my values are and I don't know exactly what that means. You know, it kind of takes me back to when I first started swimming, right? You know, I didn't, I just had a belief in myself. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that would mean making an Australian team or winning gold medals at the Olympic Games. I just know that I'm here doing something that I really love. I'm learning about things that I really love. Um, But all of those things, all of you know, all of the really hard times that, you know, everybody experiences lead you to these moments where you can really own the space that you're in and, yeah, and own the impact and the connection that you create with people. Like that's something that just fills me with joy. Mm, Yeah. I also want to say, though, because, you know, just to make sure we normalise the conversations, like I, I feel so myself now and I feel really joyful but that doesn't mean that that is constant throughout every single day and you know I know particularly for me with my experience with mental illness I need to be really proactive about taking care of Mm. my thoughts and my feelings and being really proactive about the things that make me the best version of myself and I have to do that every day and you know that includes taking medication for depression it includes exercising every single day you know it includes making sure that I journal Mm -hmm. seeing a psychologist Mm -hmm. and like they're all things that I proactively do to make sure that I'm in this space the majority of the time yeah Um, because I don't want people to think that when people are, you know, owning themselves and, you know, feel really in alignment that you're just constantly feeling happy all of the time. That's not the case. Um, And we need to make sure that we proactively take care of our mental health um, and then more often we'll be able to feel real joy in this world. Uh, I totally love that answer. And, uh, I mean, there was so much that I wanted to cover in this podcast because Mm. I really wanted to talk about this topic, like more Mm. than anything, Um, our mental health and I guess as women, the feelings of inadequacy, Mm. being almost like an imposter, um, you know, like I struggle every single day, every single day. I have to make a conscious choice to get up and own my day. I'm sure people must look at my social media or must think, oh, you run this big network of women. You must be super organized and have it all together. Absolutely not. There's absolute terror and fear behind me a lot of the time (laughs) that I have this weight like and expect and the weight of expectation yeah and I wanted to I wanted to touch on that for you because you came from a place with a lot of weight of expectation 
Do you still feel that weight now? And I know you've said you've come into your own, but Mm. have you been able to, I guess, almost disassociate part of who you were back then as a swimmer to who you are now um, to, I guess, release some of that expectation? It comes with age. It comes with experience. Um, But I I also, I want to own the fact that I've done a lot of work. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) because I have, I've, I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of, um, psychologist appointments. I've had a lot of conversations with my partner and, um, my friends and my, you know, my family, my sister. And I feel like particularly since finishing swimming, I've really lent in to making fun of myself. Because there, there is humour in every day, um, even when you are feeling really crappy. And, yeah, I don't know, I feel really passionate about sharing the all sides of our human story because we're complex and we're multifaceted and, you know, just because we react in one way in one situation doesn't mean we're going to react the same in another situation before I had Poppy, I had a miscarriage and I started to talk about that experience because like my mum had had a miscarriage and I hadn't ever spoken to her about that. Yeah. You know, I I started to realise how many people experience miscarriage and you're like, oh, we don't talk about it. And then, you know, after I experienced postnatal depression with Poppy, I started to slowly, you know, express that experience and people would say, oh, me, me too. Like I, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was totally crazy. Um, and so it was a really slow evolving snowball. And I think it's really, yeah, like I said, really important to be able to reflect on those experiences and how you respond to things. Yeah. And, yeah, kind of park your ego a little bit, which is really confronting as someone who is aiming to be the best in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but life throws us these curveballs, you know, and like these different challenges and motherhood like is totally one of them, you know, you know, you, and let's talk about that. Like, you know, when you had your first baby Poppy, like obviously throughout your career, um, you had said you'd had bouts of depression and then obviously when you, your career was abruptly ended um, without you really wanting it to be over and then entering this world of like, kind of not sure where you fit yeah. um, and then moving into the next phase, which was motherhood, um, you know, the depression reared its, its head in a, in a different way. Um, do you yeah. want to talk about your, you know, when you knew that there was an, act- an actual problem with depression with Poppy, like personal depression, as you said, like what kind of signs were you showing and feeling at the time? Yeah, it, it was really interesting because um, in my experience with depression prior to that, it was a real... I want to say lethargy, like I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to stay in bed and not move. The kind of experience postnatal depression was different. You know, she was a a challenging baby. Um, She just cried all of the time. She just felt so cranky. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, she didn't sleep very well. So the first four months, I feel like she lulled us into a false sense of security. You know, she didn't really nap that well, but she would sleep eight to 10 hours a night up until the age of four months. And I'm like, yeah, I'm nailing this motherhood jam, like all over it. Should write a parenting book. 
I, and then I feel like, you know, the universe wants to put you in your place yeah. when you say shit like that. <laughs> and um, yeah, from that, you know, the dreaded four month sleep regression happened. And it's like she never, she decided that sleep just wasn't for her. And for the for a period of about five months, she was waking every 45 minutes overnight and sleeping no longer than 45 minutes during oh. the day. And just that constant feeling like you're not doing enough. And mm. it's like, if I just loved her enough, mm. if I was enough for her somehow, she would sleep and like she would feel comfortable enough to sleep or I, like I didn't really know how to articulate it because, you know, first time motherhood, you have no idea what you're doing and learning as you go. And then coming from that background of being the best in the world and having constant yeah, feedback. Um, constructive feedback about what you're doing, both in the training pool and also in performance, mm. um, it it was really difficult because all she did was just scream at me. I'm like, that was your feedback you was like negative but all the time. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Um, you yeah, felt like so you that, were failing, I guess. Constantly, constantly yeah. felt like I was failing, and you know, I was really big into the idea of attachment parenting, and so we tried co-sleeping. But that seemed to make it worse because if she wasn't on the boob, um, she would wake up. And so the, 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 it, the situation got worse until just after she turned eight months, I was going through the motions of trying to, um, I was going through the motions of trying to do self-care. Yeah. And for me, that involves exercise. That's the one great thing that came out of my first retirement is the understanding that exercise is just the foundation of my mental health. Mm. So I was going to the gym. It was a 25-minute drive from my house. And I put her in the car. Of course, she was going through a phase where she hated the car and immediately started screaming. And I remember backing out of the driveway and she just started with her wailing, her screaming. And it's like, I mean, I can still feel the feeling now mm. um just talking about this story but it's like I just it's like a a, a switch flicked in my brain mm. and I just lost any connection with reality and I just screamed at her mm. at the top of my I don't even know what I was saying but at the top of my lungs I think I was saying shut up yeah but I don't know if words actually came out but it was yeah. just an animalistic guttural scream for her to stop um and i did that for 25 minutes and i cannot remember the drive at all i cannot remember getting from my home to the gym mm. and i arrived at the gym and i realized that i was a danger to her and i was a danger to myself and i was a danger to other people on the road because i don't remember that drive like i don't yeah. remember whether i was safe i don't remember whether i was driving safely mm. um and i uh, in that moment, I realized that this wasn't normal. <laughs> like I, I had a sense, I had a feeling that I wasn't doing well. <laughs> I was like, mm, I'm very angry. <laughs> I can't seem to be very resilient. <laughs> like shit makes me cry at the drop of a hat. Yes. And, but it was in that moment that I realized that I needed to reach out and ask for help. So I called my husband. I told him that and in that moment made a made a booking with with a gp and mm -hmm. that was such an important lesson for me to learn to reach out to help and and i think really like again the the 
recovery from that moment. It's not like, oh, cool, I'm good now. Um, You know, it took a good 12 months for me to feel better. Mm. And then, you know, you have another baby and you kind of go through similar fears and anxieties and stresses, um, but you're better prepared for it. And subsequently with my third baby, I feel like I've done the best with her um, in that newborn phase Mm. because I find that phase really, really difficult. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I I don't know. It's such a a huge transition and it's a big transition from one baby to two babies and two to three. But you kind of learn more about yourself during those situations. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned in the last six years is the ability to ask for help and recognising that being vulnerable enough to ask for help is actually really brave because most of us just try to soldier on and grind it out to the detriment of our relationship with ourselves and the relationships to our love, like our closest loved ones. Mm. We usually take it out on the people closest to us. Yeah. And it's okay to ask for help. It's, mm. it's important it, to help us thrive in this world. I mean, did you think back to that time in Poppy Light before, that experience in the car like were there moments leading up to that that now that you look back you think I really didn't have it all together but I was just trying to you know be 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 this super mom like have it feel like I had it together like that I could do it on my own that I didn't need the yeah. help yeah uh, and in ref- on reflection that's okay you know yeah. at the time it was really hard and and confronting because mm. you want to have your shit together and I was an incredibly successful swimmer who yeah was able to take on the world. <laughs> this little baby's defeated me, you know, and yeah. you know, it, and as well, it plays into that. It's not what you imagine motherhood to be. I imagine motherhood to be nice, quiet cuddles and yeah. easy breastfeeding, and you know, lots of coffee dates with friends, and oh, um, so and then that. returning to work in a really easy way, <laughs> like. Um, and that's not the case. Like it just does not happen like that. And I don't, I don't think it happens like that for anybody. No. no. Um, and I think it's really important that as women, we are able to talk about how challenging that can be. And as well, now that like I'm done having kids, it's a big transition because that's a huge part of your life that you're trying to get pregnant, being pregnant, whether you're breastfeeding or not. Um, yeah. Like that's such a huge part of your identity for for me it was uh, you know over four and a half years um yeah and it's understanding what you want again you know you start to be able to make decisions about who you are outside of a mother now while having that role and understanding how you can move forward and how that shapes you but isn't you I mean, it's such a demanding time. Like, mm. I think back, I mean, my youngest now is 15. Mm. I almost got a 21-year-old. Like, it feels wow. like yesterday I was driving my newborn six-month-old baby around at night to try and get them to sleep because they oh, could not God, sleep. the nighttime drives. It's yeah. all coming back to me. <laughs> I know. Or, like, the nipples falling off because the yes. breastfeeding is not going to work. You know, it's just, it's just like we're not really selling motherhood, but it's like, you know, it's a beautiful time, but it's a really hard time as well. And I think you make it normalized like that, but we're all going through it together as mothers. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, there's so many, again, there's so many common threads to that um, experience and, 
you know, you might not have a difficult newborn phase, but maybe you have a difficult two-year-old or a difficult teenager. Yeah. Um, and everybody has challenges at different times in, in parenthood and different challenges in how they see themselves in different um, parts of that journey. Mm. Um, yeah. But again, I, I think one of the things that I was told most before I had kids was it's the best and the hardest thing you'll ever do. Mm. And for so long I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. And like for me now, six years into motherhood, it's given me infinitely more capacity to love. Mm. It's given me infinitely more patience. It's made me realize how strong my body was. And I was an elite athlete, you know, like, yeah. Like I was strong, like physically, but mentally and physically, I'm really strong. And, you know, a little bit broken, you know, <laughs> I still cough and wee sometimes, that happens. But like, I, I'm, I'm a better person. I know that I am. The capacity that I have to live in this world is, is mostly 90% due to having those experiences as, as a mother and mm. yeah. I'm, I'm totally grateful, not to say that it's not bloody hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. I wanted to touch on, like, you know, obviously as a parent, we have so many uh, moments where we feel like we're failing, <laughs> as we just discussed. Mm, constantly. Um, and also in life, you know, fear of failure isn't a bad thing. I think it's good to have fear. I think mm. it's good to have fear. If we don't, if we're not afraid of something, it doesn't mean enough to us. This is what I think. Uh, I just don't think it means enough if we're not afraid of it in a little way. Um, how have you been able to push through those thoughts and feelings that come into your head that say mm -hmm. you're not going to be good at this, which probably come up all the time having been you know, <laughs> at the top of your sport? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, with fear comes courage and that allows you to grow as a human. But I think the, it's, again, understanding where it's coming from. So, you know, I used to get really anxious going on to live television and I dabbled as a weekend um, weather presenter <laughs> did you uh, yeah weekend today I for like literally two months and <laughs> I was very bad at it but you know for most of my swimming career I was like I'm going to be like the sunrise presenter like I used to be obsessed with Mel Doyle I wanted to be on morning television that was like I used to come home from swimming and just watch it for hours on end and you know I kind of dabbled in it for a little bit and you realize that it's not for you. And I think when it comes from like fear is good, but you have to understand whether it's something that makes you want to be better mm. and that really lights you up and gets you excited and passionate. Cause you know, obviously I was incredibly nervous before any race at the Olympic games. Mm. Um, but I wanted it. Like I wanted to feel that. Whereas, you know, doing weekend weather presenting <laughs> really shit and having all of this anxiety that just used to chew me up. I didn't I like, I, that's not something that I wanted. Mm. And so um, I'm getting more confidence now in understanding the difference between the things that I'm passionate about that light me up, that I'm okay with feeling those um, feelings of fear and, and nerves and mm. anticipation. Mm. Um, because you're right, that that's a sign to me that that means 
a lot to me and that I want to do well and I want to do better. Mm. So yeah, it's trying to understand where I guess that spectrum lies for you. You know, since 2018, I've been thinking about starting a podcast. I recorded about five interviews in 2018 to, with the intention. I, I remember reaching out to you and wanting to talk to you <laughs> about um, your experiences because I'm just so interested in people's stories. Mm. And, but the, the framework wasn't there. So, um, yeah, it's, understand, it's, it's, it's a balance, you know. It's that balance between understanding what that right fit is but also the right framework. Mm. Yeah. To build on. Yeah. That foundation. What do you think is some of the barriers to women being able to push through their fear? Or what do you think mm. is like the barriers to them trying something new? I reckon two things. I reckon we get in our own way a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're kind of, I don't know, we just all have low self-esteem. Why do we all have low self-esteem? Why is that a thing? I don't know. I When I see women who own themselves like it's just the most powerful thing to see a woman who just owns her story and owns her experiences and just is in this world and I just find that so inspiring yeah so I think I mean we get in our own way a lot we don't put ourselves forward we don't put ourselves out for opportunities and you know there's lots of reasons for that there's a period of time if you're having kids that it just slows down, like life just slows down and it's really frustrating for women who are wanting to achieve things externally to their family life. Mm. Partly my advice would be patience, don't get in your own way. Yeah. Um, but also I think as women we are somehow conditioned to be competitive with one another mm. as though there's not enough space for all of us mm. wherever we want to go. Mm. It's just not the case. Why is <laughs> like, that? I mean, uh, well, I think because there's so few women in top jobs, you know, mm-hmm. you can't be what you can't see, right? So we feel like we have to muscle out every other woman who might be vying for that position because it's only one position for a female. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that might be part of it. But, man, like, like I just said, like a woman who owns her story, who is truly herself, oh gosh it's so inspiring and motivating to me and we can connect with those women and ask them questions and understand how they've gotten to achieve what they've achieved and I don't know like I think we need to reflect on our own behaviors and you know I came from a really competitive environment where I literally was muscling other women out to touch the wall first you know yeah Yeah. Uh, that was my job and I just, I think I've realized that I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be in those environments that are toxic and, you know, everyone's backstabbing and gossiping about each other and we don't have to be, and we can be that, you know, to be really corny, we can be that change. We can make those decisions to consciously reach out and help other women, particularly because we need to lift each other up. And it's true. I think we just need to support each other, you know. Yeah, Totally. I wanted to quickly touch on your journey with running. Um, hey, so yes. <laughs> you, you run, and for those of people that don't know, that Libby does double in running and she loves the gym. Um, mm. And, you know, you've run two half marathons now. You just yes. recently did the Gold Coast Half Marathon yourself when it was cancelled. Yeah. Um, what do you love about running and what do you also find hard about it? Like being a swimmer and obviously yes. saying you feel more like comfortable in the water than on land. 
um, you know, once again, putting yourself out there and trying something new and different. Yes. Um, what was sort of the experience of like with you and running? Like uh, physical challenges in my jam. Like that's where I feel really comfortable. Yeah. But being a swimmer and a sprinter has been really hard to try and find those you know goals that i can kind of attach to to you know keep me consistent with my exercising and um motivated to kind of keep doing that um in in that kind of way but everything is all so distance orientated yeah. and all land-based yeah <laughs> or at least a component of land-based so i I don't know. I was really frustrated because I'm like, I like the idea of the meditative nature of running. Mm. I like that idea, mm. but I couldn't get out of my head to be able to enjoy what was going on in my body because mm. it just like, it's really painful. Like <laughs> I've been suspended in yes. water for the majority of my life. Yes. So the pounding of a pavement is brutal on my body. And I actually, after meeting Eloise um, in, in 2016, I actually wanted to do the Brisbane Marathon and I got her to write me a program and awesome. started it. And then my back blew up oh. and I just could not handle it. And so during lockdown last year and not having access to the normal things that I would normally do, like the gym or swimming, for my mental health, I started dabbling in jogging and I invested in a treadmill, um, which has been one of the best things that I've done in the last 18 months. And I started really slowly. Like I started just running, like literally, like actually slowly. <laughs> like, like I started to run for, you know, 20 minutes at a time mm -hmm. at a really, really slow pace. And you know what I've realized over the last kind of 12 to 18 months and particularly since doing my half marathons is that it doesn't matter what pace you go. Like I'm like, let's be honest, I am never going to win a marathon or a half marathon. Neither that is not going to be. Uh, yeah. But you can just do it at your own pace. And it took me three hours to do the Brisbane marathon. Like the, anybody I talk to kind of goes, oh, okay. <laughs> That's uh, look, a bit I slow. I can see it in their heads. It doesn't matter. And this is the thing, like people need to stop worrying about pace when it comes to running because yes. how it makes you feel and it's the places, I mean, my journey. So this is the perfectionistic attitude that we have as yeah. humans, right? It's yeah. like, I won't do it because I won't be great at it. And I'm like, but then you don't do it. Yeah. Like now I've completed two half marathons and I've signed up to do a 25K run at the end of November. Ooh, like, that? Um, I don't even know what the name <laughs> of it is. It's on the Gold Coast somewhere. Somewhere, some race somewhere. somewhere. But I've been somewhere. telling you that you've often sent me a little message like, oh, I want to get on the trails. Yeah. So and and what I've discovered, I've been spending a bit of time um, at Noosa recently and wow. the national park there like that lights me up oh, like yeah. running in nature yeah like to pound a pavement on you know a footpath is just yeah. it feels terrible I can run really slowly for a pretty long time on a treadmill I quite enjoy that listening to a podcast or yep. watching something on Netflix that's quite enjoyable but the thing that really makes me 
happy is to be out in nature and just to run uneven ground and kind of just oh. be there with the birds and the sunshine and you yeah, talking my language <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's magic and i understand it now mm. but i really had to actively step out of that mindset that i had to be fast oh you do not have to be fast and you know what there's actually a race that i didn't even know existed which i just saw the other week in noosa called noosa ultra trail Ooh. which is next year. I think it might be in April and I'm pretty sure they have a 30 kilometer race. Ooh, that's my jam. So I, might I don't think I can go further than 30 kilometers, but yeah, 15, I reckon I'll be up for that. There's 15, 30, maybe 50 and a hundred, something like that. But it's like Noosa. Hello. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And the nature and yeah. Ocean breeze. <laughs> like so much doesn't get better. Well for choice in Brisbane as well. Like it's just, yeah. there's so many. So so check that out. I will. Um, so you all you talked about training being like something you love to do, obviously makes you feel strong, helps you as a mom as well. Mm -hmm. Um what about training for mental health? How does training make you feel? So um Something that I've realized in the last, I reckon, four weeks is I, I, I knew exercise was really important to me and I tried to do it consistently three or four times a week, mm. but I'm my best self when I'm doing it every day, mm. which is really hard to work around with life commitments and family and children and all those sorts of things. And especially when you've got new babies, almost impossible. Mm -hmm. But now that my youngest is almost two, I'm able to find this really nice rhythm where I, and it's a commitment, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm waking up at about 4am <laughs> to get up and exercise, which well, sounds crazy to me it. now. No, it sounds crazy to me now to think back to a time where I'm like, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> but uh, it's the time that I can dedicate, I choose to dedicate to myself, mm -hmm every day and i am like a thousand times a better person when i exercise consistently i have to do it every day and even you know just on with school holidays recently and getting out of routine yeah. and not being able to do things as as readily as possible like i i feel it i feel it within two days yeah yeah um and so yeah it's a commitment that you make and and it's because we all have, are so busy and we all have so much on our plates. It's really trying to find a time that you can be consistent mm -hmm. and really commit to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, I have to work that out with my partner to yeah. make sure that he is on board with supporting me through that. And yeah, it's finding the routines that work for you and work for you consistently. Yeah. And I guess one of the good tools that you now have is the treadmill. So you can use it mm. when it's poor weather or whatever and at night, whatever. Honestly, it's the best investment that I've made because yeah. like, again, like it, it, when the girls go down, I can just go for a run. Like, yeah. and I'm not scared about running in the dark. Like I can yeah. just go whenever, if I'm like, oh yeah, I have an extra 20 minutes. I can just jump on for 20 minutes. It's just yeah. really easy. And exercise, I guess, for your mental health is just one of the little things in the toolkit, you know. Yes. So you've got your your exercise, you've got your journaling, you've got your, you know, your friends, your psychologist, you know. It's just one of the little things in the toolkit to be able to help us manage life. Um, I'm all about the toolkit yeah. because we, we need to have lots of things. I, and I think I learned that through lockdown last year is that you need to have 
lots of things because sometimes you can't access the normal things, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is partly why I took medication when I started medic- medication last year for, for um, my depression. I, I didn't have access to um, my normal coping mechanisms and so I needed something a little bit extra. And, yeah, I think, you know, it might be binge-watching Ted Lasso. I don't know. Just things that bring you joy and, and make you laugh or is just for you. Mm. And, yeah, I think we all need different toolkits. And I think people need to not assume that it's, like, big things. It's, it's finding those little things every day, little rituals every day, you know, morning coffee or a cup of tea at night, reading a few chapters before bed. It's just finding the things that make you feel good. Yeah. And talking about reading... Um, let's quickly talk about your book before we wrap up. Um, so you wrote a book. It yes. It was released in 2019 called Beneath yes. the Surface. Yes. I have it right here. <laughs> and I have read it twice and I loved it. From the moment I picked it up, I think I read it in like one day, the first time I read it and the second wow. time in a day as well. <laughs> um, but I loved it because it was just so real and raw mm-hmm. and honest and you gave a voice to women that might, you know, not feel like they can talk about these issues that we've discussed mm. in this podcast. Um, what was the reason for you writing it? Was it because of that? It was, I think, like two years in the in the making. So I got to work with a, a wonderful writer. Her name was Simone uh, is Simone Yuboldi, and um, she just wrote my story as though I was writing it. Like she, her voice well the voice that she wrote was just me to a T and I don't know I was I was really hesitant to do a book because again I I'm like but why me like Mm. sure I you know won a few medals but how does that actually translate into life (laughs) you know how is that relevant for anybody um and so I, I never did it straight after finishing swimming but I think after my experiences through motherhood and postnatal depression and miscarriage and all of those little um, journeys that we go on, mm. I really wanted to be upfront and honest about communicating those experiences because I, I always felt like if it helped one person, then that would be, again, that sounds very cliche, but if it helped one person articulate what they were experiencing and then maybe reach out for help that would just be it. And I had one lady and it was the best thing. I think I'll probably tear up now thinking about it, but um, she, she wrote to me an email saying that she, she thanked me for writing the book and she said um, it allowed her the words to articulate what she was experiencing to her husband and that, you know, he was then able to support her to get the help that she needed through her postnatal depression and it made her feel less isolated and less alone. Again, I keep coming back to the fact that life is really hard and it can feel really isolating and it can feel really alone. And if you can see, I know Mia Friedman talks talks about um, somebody's hurt can come in the shape of your words so you can help heal somebody else because of your experiences and someone will take something away from that and 
either reach out for help or feel slightly less alone, feel like they have permission to ask for the, the support that they need. Yeah. And I feel really proud that I might be able to do that for a few people who read the book. It's, it's honestly, it's one of my proudest achievements um, that I've done in my life. And yeah, it's not like a raging bestseller or anything, but I'm just so proud that people are reading it and might feel a little bit better about themselves after reading it. So uh, I thought it was a great read. I mean, can, where can people get it still just booktopia um any online um any good bookstore all of those sorts of things i'll, I'll put it in the show notes so that would be amazing thank and, you and of course link to your new podcast all that glitters i'll put link in there you know you thank speak you. to some amazing athletes about transition and not only you know you said transition as from being athletes but just in life um yeah before we finish I want to do the RMA hot lap, which I always do with every guest. So it's just five questions, but I actually gave you six. Okay, <laughs> um, amazing. I don't know. I just thought of one more and I wanted to ask you, but the first one being who has been your greatest inspiration and why? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think in, in the sphere of sport, I think, um, Inga de Brown, who was at the 2000 Olympics. She's from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. She won the 1500 freestyle and the 100 butterfly in world record time at those Olympics. And I remember being 15 at the time and just being in complete awe of her. Mm -hmm. um, Roger Federer, I think as a human being who has been just unbelievably successful and yet, you know, was kind of had this kind of funny start to his career where he was a little bit of a bad boy like <laughs> to think of him like that now is just um like so out of character but yeah. you know had had a bit of a tough time at the beginning and then just became the most humble mm -hmm. champion of the sport um incredibly successful i really admire him but i think just in general life i think you know there's being a 36 year old mother of three i you know, I'm inspired by people like you who have stepped into something that they're really passionate about and, you know, are passionate about connecting people in communities and like women owning their stories. I have said that a few times today, but I don't know. I find that that's, that's the really thing that just gets me right in my gut. Like yeah. that's what I want to be in this world. And that's what in, inspires and motivates me every day. Oh, thanks. And you are doing that. You're doing that yourself, which is why you're here. <laughs> thank you've you. Done that for me. You've been a huge inspiration to me. So, oh, thank you. Um, oh, we're getting all light and fluffy. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you. I love you. <laughs> um, okay. The next question is, I want to know the answer to this. If you could, I think I know the answer. <laughs> if you could run 5Ks or swim mm. 100 metres, which would you choose oh. and why? Swim 100 metres, easy. That'd be done in a second. <laughs> Not a second, like a minute now. But <laughs> A second? Gee. <laughs> yeah, I've really improved. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, what is your favourite way to train right now? Ooh, um, I am, well, I'm doing so many different things at the moment. I have started doing master swimming at the moment, which is really, really cool. Um, I still love lifting weights. That's something that I really enjoy. I really love running on a treadmill. <laughs> it's 
quite, I don't know, meditative in the way that you kind yeah. of can do. I love running trails at the moment. Um, and I really love tennis. I've just taken wow. up tennis as well. So I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of letting myself explore exercise at the moment. Pilates, I love it all. Yoga, gosh, so many different things. That's good. I think that's a great way to be. Like just Yeah. Again, like I can't run every day. Like I will I don't know that I will ever be able to run every day because of just the impact on my body is too great. So to be able to change it up and do different things, yeah, I'm really enjoying. Oh, nice. I like it. Okay. Um well, do you have any future running goals? That was one of mine. Well, you kind of answered that before about 20, I did. 25. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but now that you've mentioned the Noosa Trail, I yeah, I think I'm that's going to be the next one for next year. Yes, definitely. I'm My first trail that. run. Yeah. <laughs> um this question, I don't know if you read this one before um when I gave it to you, but if you could go on SAS, which I've been watching religiously because I interviewed Yana on the podcast and she's mm -hmm. amazing in this. I keep messaging her going, oh, my gosh, you were amazing today. Mm. Uh, would you go on? <laughs> uh, it's so funny that you asked. I've actually been asked to go on it a couple of times. I have at this point said no. Yeah, why? Well, uh, it's an interesting, well, I think it's an interesting story. Like I said, physical challenges are my jam. Like that's yeah, something yeah. that it's almost my comfort zone as much as that show is like, mm. whoa, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And there's certainly been a few things like the boxing and the, you know, being in the car underwater. Oh. Like, I just don't know that. I thought um, the water thing would be great. <laughs> oh God, no, no, no. Swimmers, swimmers, we're like little Away. <laughs> no, no, no. The idea of that just is like ugh, palpable, like terrifying. Um, yeah. So, I, but at the start of the year, so I got asked to do it end of last year and I had decided to start my uni. Yeah. And if I said yes to SAS, it's about what you say yes to means you say no to something else. Yes. And so I knew that I would be saying no to my uni. And for me, that's the scarier yeah. thing right now. Yeah, that's the bigger challenge. That's taking me me taking me right out of my comfort zone yeah. to commit yeah. to uni because I just don't think that I'm good enough to finish a degree. Oh, don't say that. You so are, but I hear myself in exactly what you just said. Yeah, but I so I I, I had the opportunity to do it. And normally it would be like a hundred percent yes, but I just felt like at this time in my life, mm. I don't know. As, as well, I, I think there's a lot of redemption stories. There's a lot of trying to prove yourself to mm. somebody or in some. There's lots of stories around that, and I just don't have that in me right now. Yeah. But mostly the biggest thing was me being out of my comfort zone means actually committing to the university degree. Because I think if I said yes to SAS. I would have not done this year at uni. Yeah. So, well, you might have given it like a little reason why not to. Like, yeah, no, it, oh, for me, I just need out. a little, little, yeah. little out, and I'll be like, oh, well, I'm doing SAS. Like, yeah. I'm doing something else. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, <laughs> the last question was what do you want your girls to learn from your journey? Ooh, big hitter for the last one. Um, <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> I my, with a tearjerker. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think the experiences that I've had and the thing that I've been reflecting on most in my life in the last six months is 
how do we as human beings strive to be better and evolve to be better and you know achieve great things in this world but without making ourselves feel like shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and i want to find the answer to that question because i know that i haven't answered it for myself yet you know i'm i feel like i'm getting closer but i i want to be able to pass that on you know to to be able to allow my daughters to achieve whatever it is they want to achieve in this world, whether that be in sport or in business or, you know, if they become nurses or teachers or whatever, whatever they want to become in this world, not to do it because they're trying to prove their worth. Mm. It's just because it's something that they're passionate about and that they love to do and it fills them up. Um, So I hope that through my experiences, they might learn something about that journey. I hope that gets them closer to it sooner. But I, I like, yeah, in, in conjunction with that, to find something that they're passionate about, because you can, um, you know, for a really long time, I had people saying that, oh, at least, you know, because I was trying to find my passion. I've been trying for eight years to find a passion outside of sport, outside of swimming. And some people were like, oh, but yeah, at least you had one passion, you know, at least you had it once. And I'm like, but I can't spend the rest of my life not being passionate. Like that's mm. fundamentally part of who I am. Mm. And it's been really frustrating to not have that in my life. And, you know, I've been grateful and able to find something that else that I'm really passionate about that fills me up in a different capacity. So, yeah, to help and encourage them and support them in finding whatever that passion is Mm. wherever that might take them in this world that's what i hope (laughs) no pressure (laughs) pressure kids (laughs) stressful yeah no you're doing an amazing job and i mean so you know back then swimming was your passion Mm. what would you how would you articulate your passion now um normalizing mental health conversations I think that that's a succinct way to describe the complexity of what I'm doing at the, not that it's complex, it's quite simple really, but um, it's trying to understand how I can do that and help as many people as I can uh, in all different types of communities. But yeah, that's, that's the main goal at the moment. Well, thank you for sharing and thank you for sharing your amazing beautiful story with us um if people want to follow along and you know reach out to you where can they find you um the best place is my insta my insta account um at libby underscore tricket um but i'm also on facebook and twitter i mostly retweet stuff on twitter so i'm not really that interesting but (laughs) instagram is where it's at (laughs) Or, or, or if if you're interested in another podcast Yes, um, all that glitters pod um, is on Instagram as well. So. Yes, absolutely, and I will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, yes. Libby, for joining us. My absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much, and I, again, thank you for connecting women all around Australia and all around the world. Um, yeah, you're making a real difference, and I think that's really important. Something you should celebrate um, the impact that you're making. Thank you. Well, what another amazing episode that was. And thank you, Libby, for sharing your story. I will put in the show notes where you can contact Libby and also where you can listen to some of her amazing podcast episodes over at All That Glitters. You can also buy Libby's book, Beneath the Surface, at any good bookstore or, as she said, on Booktopia. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. 
for now. I hope you are safe and well wherever you are and I look forward to joining you next time.